All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad you guys are here. Well, yeah, I'm glad four of you are here. That's good. That's good. I hope that, you know, while you were greeting one another, you were looking each other uh, in the eye and just kind of letting each other know, man, I'm glad to see you here today. All right. Uh, I know that we have some uh, guests here. Uh, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Jeff Baker, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors on staff. Uh, here at our church. So if you are a guest, thanks for coming out today. I know that God's got something. He's got something really cool for your life today. He's got something he wants to speak directly to you. Um, I know that as a matter of fact, because, um, you know, God says in his word that he's new every single day. Uh, he's got something new for your heart today. So if you'll come today with a heart that just goes, God, here I am. I don't want to waste my my hour that, I, that I'm spending here. I want to maximize it. What is it that you're trying to say to me today? Then I, I guarantee you, God will walk, you'll walk away with something that God deposits uh, in your heart. It will be amazing. It will be fun. So I'm glad you guys are here. we got a special uh, service plan. i got a special guest that's going to be with me. I'll introduce him uh, here in just a little while. But uh, you're here for week three of our current teaching series that we've entitled, actually, Call of Duty, all right? Call of Duty, yeah, right on, yeah. I know you guys are excited about it, I know. I I can tell, I can tell you're excited about it. Um, what we're going to do before uh, before I kind of get into my message is we're going to cover a little detail that we normally cover in our, um, we normally cover this kind of in our greeting and our announcement time. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're just going to have a moment while I begin just to kind of take us into the sermon today. Our ushers are actually going to come and they are going to be receiving our morning's tithe and offering here. Uh, so while they do come, I know it's a little different. I know it's a little different. But what I want to tell you is this, that, you know, here at New Life, we just believe that God's blessed us. He's blessed each and every single one of you in one way or, or another. And when we give our tithe and our offering, it's just our way of saying, you know what? We believe that uh, we believe that God's the one who provided, and we want to invest back into His kingdom. And here at New Life, we have a lot of things that are going on that we're advancing God's kingdom. See, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about advancing God's kingdom. When you give in the offering right now, you're not you're not giving to New Life. You're not giving to Jeff or to the vision of the staff. You're giving it to God, and you're giving it to God to do one thing. And it's exactly the title of today's message. It's expanding God's kingdom. So in week one of this current teaching series, we talked about authentic Christianity. What does it mean to reflect the image of Christ versus just trying to be a copy of? Remember, I held a mirror up and I reflected light off these things and blinded many of you. And some of you tried to apply for workman's comp, actually. I had one guy come up to me and he wanted to apply for a workman's comp because he goes, I got it on video and everything. You shined a light right in my eye. He was just joking. Don't worry, we have loving people here, all right? Uh, but then I had the flashlight, and I tried, to, I tried to replicate that light and try to make it just as powerful, and the flashlight was never going to be as powerful as that. We just kind of talked about the topic that God wants us to reflect him. He's the original, and he wants us just to reflect that. That was important because then week two, what do you do with reflecting God? Well, obviously, you help people know about the love of Jesus, but you also are part of replicating. You're part of reproducing yourself into the hearts of others. And that really leads us to this week. See, replicating or making disciples many times brings a person into this local body. But why are we bringing people into this local body? Are we bringing people in just so the auditorium is full, you know, six times every weekend? Just so that we can feel really good about ourselves? So that maybe we could call ourselves, we're the largest church in South Central Nebraska. Is that why we're trying to bring people in the door? Why are we trying to bring people in the door? We're trying to bring people in the door 
of God's kingdom, not just the door of this church, by the way. We're trying to bring people into a relationship with God that transforms their every single day. That's what we're trying to do, and that's expanding God's kingdom. Expanding God's kingdom reaches out. It, it takes people from this church, and it sends them out of this place as missionaries. It sends them out of this place like pastors. It sends them out of this place as church planters. You know, you know what also expanding God's kingdom? Expanding God's kingdom is going on a missions trip to a foreign country that you've never been to before. You know, and investing into a people that maybe they can never give you anything back in return. That's part of advancing God's kingdom. And advancing God's kingdom for me, uh, I have a big passion for this, is planting churches. Planting churches. And God's called us at New Life to expand his kingdom. That's what he's asked us to do. That's what he's wanting us to do. You know, 10 years ago, how many of you guys were here 10 years ago? Let me see your hand if you're here 10 years ago. Okay, all right, very good. Uh, 10 years ago, we did some... We did some really radical steps in ministry. Um, I, Pastor Bob was here. I was on staff. And Pastor Bob commissioned me. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to go figure out a way that we can reproduce what we're doing here and take it into, you know, uh, any community that God might call us to. And so I started searching out options. And we, we came to the conclusion 10 years ago that uh, there was a technology that was new at the time. It was called Video Venue. So it was recording a service really onto a DVD and then taking that DVD someplace else with a live worship team, sticking the DVD in for the preaching. Um, and so you have a live worship team and then a recorded preaching. And then you would have some kind of a campus pastor, someone that would be there. And back then, man, there was just a couple of churches that were doing this across the United States. And we decided that would be a good way for us to expand God's kingdom here. So up there in uh, in our balcony, if you've ever been up there, then you'll notice that there's this big room that we cut we cut out and we just cut we cut about 45 seats out so that we can make room for thousands. So we sacrificed 45 seats and we built that room up there and that's that's called our our literally it's called the I don't even know the helm is what I recall it. Uh, everything's controlled out of there. You know, it's just like a, it's like a TV producing station almost. These guys are sending a message out. And right now through our camera, you know, people are, are watching us live right now. People are going to watch this, um, recorded, uh, as they download it on their, on their computers. But we, what we, but we started that thing to do was to start recording DVDs so we could go plant churches anywhere that God might call us. So we did a lot of homework and a lot of investment. And we came into this room and we cut this ceiling open. And we put in this stage lighting. Because if you're going to run a camera, then you've got to have better lighting. You can't just have the old school lights. You can't just have just a, a couple of you know lights like you might have in your house. You, gotta, you have to put in some professional stuff. And so we invested. And the board got behind it. And everybody just jumped on the board. And we said, let's figure out a way that we can expand God's kingdom. That was 10 years ago that I was commissioned to do that. And as we got started, then we never really got to the point where we started launching churches, making these video venue churches, expanding God's kingdom. We never really got to that stage. But what did we do? Over the last 10 years, of which six of them I was gone, here at this church, faithful people, volunteers, kept serving in that booth. And they kept working in it. 
And, and they kept, they kept perfecting the art of what it meant to make a, make a quality recording and uh, make sure the audio's right and the lighting's right and the video's right. And they kept producing these DVDs that were sent out into people's homes and they were used in homes and they, they were used for individuals. And then the internet started streaming the service and they've just kept building the team and adding volunteers to it and getting uh, more and more perfect in crafting the art of their gifting that God's called them to. And then God spoke to my heart, and he spoke to your heart, and he called us back here. This was a unified thing that we all kind of joined together, and man, here I am. Back in October of 2012, I really sensed strongly that God began to speak to me once I knew that this was the place that God had called me to come. And one of the things God brought me back to was he said, pick up where you left off, because that was in God's heart. One of the things that we have to know about God's heart is that God's heart is always about expanding his kingdom. And so we, when we got back here, we started working it. And we started figuring out what could we do to, to get this thing all up to date and make sure that we could make it happen. And the very first thing that we felt like God spoke to our heart was, go expand my kingdom and plant a church inside of this church. Really, God? Like plant a church inside of this church? I mean, I mean, look around you right now. Isn't there plenty of room for people in the community to come right now? Yeah, and guess what? Those empty seats around you, they're for you to fill with your friends, family, co-workers as you reach out with the love of God. God, as you pray with me, that God would bring people in. That, those are, that's your mission as long as, as well as it's mine. But we really sense God was saying, go plant that service down there. Because our second service was getting too full. You know, there was, um, uh, there's this basic rule of seating that's called 80-20. Um, and, there always needs to be about 20% of open seats because people just don't like to cram into a place. And that's kind of how we were getting in our second service. So we went down to our gym and we launched a service. How many of you guys have gone down there at all? Anybody gone down there at all? We have a few people that have attended down there. Okay, good. You've seen, you've seen kind of what we're doing. And as of January, we just launched the, uh, the full scope of the whole thing. Um, and now that that's a model that's reproducible. Um, it's something that we could take and we can move anywhere on the planet. Um, and we could plant a church wherever God might call us to. But that's, that's picking up where we left off. So this mission started 10 years ago. We've been, we just kind of been working it and trying to be a, be a church that, that makes multiple opportunities so that people can come to know Jesus. Because I'm just going to tell you right now, not everybody in Kearney, Nebraska or South Central Nebraska wants to wake up and be at church at 9 a.m. in the morning on Sunday. You do. They don't. Or they would be here, right? So no, this is not the moment where you pat yourself on the back and go, wow, I'm so good. I got here before everyone else. No, no, it's just that there are other people that want to be here at nine. So I want to ask you, would you please share that with them? Would you please share what it means to walk in relationship with God and invite them to come? But there's another group of people that want to be here at 1045. And guess what? They want to be right here in this room. There's something about being in here and the worship team that's here and the environment. But there is a whole nother group of people that want to be in that kind of environment. They're down there right now. They'll be down there at 1045. Right now, right now we're averaging about 109 people um, in attendance in our gym right now at 1045. And that number just is, it's on the incline. It just keeps, it keeps increasing. We've had obviously large, larger numbers than that, but 109. That's pretty good. In, in 2013, our attendance here at our church, it grew by 10% over 2012. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome as well. God's expanding his kingdom by bringing more and more people into it, but that's not where God wants to leave it. 
God wants us to take a risk with our faith. And it was risky planting that gym. Would anybody attend? Will we invest a bunch of money and energy and effort and then find that no one wants to attend? Would, would people that attend actually stay? Would people even be attracted to it in our community? And you know what the answer has been to that? A huge, resounding yes. Yes, and together we are expanding God's kingdom. But the very week that we did that, we also received a phone call. The phone call came in from our superintendent, Pastor Bob, Bob Wine, who used to be the pastor here. The very week that we planted that church, he asked me, Jeff, would you consider planting a church in North Platte, Nebraska? North Platte, Nebraska? Uh, excuse me, my friend. Um, but we live in Kearney, number one. And number two, we're planting a church in our gym right now. How could I ever do that? And so we kind of talked a little bit about it. And uh, he was still game, you know, to work with us. And I just said, there was no possible way I could plant. He wanted me to plant it in like January, right now. I said, there's no possible way I could do that. But if you'll allow me to consider maybe September, then then we would consider it. But here's the interesting thing. I want you just to tie some stuff together. Ten years ago, we started a plan. The plan didn't come to complete a complete picture until we launched the gym. And then the week we launched the gym, we get a phone call to do the very same thing out of North Platte. That's that's not by coincidence. There's something at work here. And there's three fast things I want to tell you. Lessons that you need to learn about God's heart in expanding the kingdom. Three quick things. First thing is this. Faithful obedience doesn't go unnoticed. Even when you aren't seeing the results, faithful obedience doesn't go unnoticed. That God cherishes every ounce of obedience like it's gold. And all of those 10 years of just faithful service with all of our, uh, all of the people that have been working in this thing, they've been obedient. The church has been obedient. We didn't close the doors because we didn't get where we wanted to be. We didn't knock it down and put pews back in just so we can fit 45 more people back in this auditorium. We didn't think small. They kept thinking large and they kept working it and making it happen. And that faithful obedience hasn't gone unnoticed by God. That's why James 2 says these kinds of things. It says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without works. And our faith here is not dead. Our faith isn't dead. We've, we've put good works behind it. We've been working it. Our faith is alive. And God's doing something. Faith with works then is alive. And that's what we have here. So first thing is this. In your own personal life. In your own personal life, if you want to expand God's kingdom, you have to realize that being faithful with the small things doesn't go unnoticed by God. But there's a second thing, a lesson that I'm learning through this whole process about expanding God's kingdom. And that is, when faith is risked and put into action, that God's favor follows it. So when you take faith and you risk it by putting it into action, God's favor follows it. And that's what we've discovered in the gym so far. That when we took that risk and we launched that thing, that God's brought people. And he's brought new people, even off the streets. And people have become a part of it. And they're part of our church body. And you haven't even met them yet. But they're one into the kingdom. And they're attending down there in the gym. That's pretty awesome. So faith, when it's risked and put into action, finds the favor of God. That's why Hebrews 11 says this. That it's impossible to please God with what? Without what? So it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. We've heard that verse many times. 
How many of you guys have heard that verse more than once? It's impossible, right, to please God without faith. But have you ever read the next couple of verses? Obviously, we know faith pleases God. But what kind of faith? Just going, God, you're, you're there. Wow, God, I see you in the trees or whatever it is that you say. I mean, God, you're there. What kind of faith is it? You know, the next couple of verses will help you understand what kind of faith God's talking about. Look at, look at this next verse in verse 7. He says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who, listen to this, who warned him about things that had never happened before. And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Notice, notice right here. What kind of faith, what kind of faith pleases God? He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. You know the kind of faith that pleases God? Is when God calls you to do things that you've never done before, that maybe you've never heard of anyone doing before, the kind of faith that you can't maybe go read a book about the how-tos to make it happen, but you're going to have to trust God because he's never spoke anything like that to you before. It baffles your mind that he would even call you to do that. That's the kind of faith that God's looking for. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. And in our lives here at New Life, you know, planting a church inside of a church, that's a little risky. You know, there's not everybody's doing those kinds of things, but that's what God called us to do. We didn't have tons and tons and tons of models to go off of churches planting churches inside of their own building. We've got churches planting them out in North Platte, but we don't have churches like planting them in buildings all over the United States. So that was like Noah. Jeff, go do it because there's there's the world that's hurting and I want to bring them in. So So we go and we do it. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. And then God moves. God does something. He releases the resources of heaven. And he goes, now I can move on your life. So the question you got to ask yourself is, what is God asking you to do that's going to require faith to trust him for something you've never seen before? Because if you want to please God, that's the kind of faith he's talking about. But look, he goes on and explains it more in the next verse. And he goes, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home. And go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went, listen to this, without knowing where he was going. Whoa, that's a little risky. You mean the kind of faith that pleases God is just kind of stepping out, not even knowing what's going to happen? Yep. When you sense that God spoke to you, who are you going to obey? You or your own conscience? You or what your own mind can figure out? God's just saying simply in this verse, Abraham went, okay, God, I know that your plan is best. And he just stepped out. Where do you want me to go? I'll show you along the way, Abraham. That's kind of what we did with the gym. We kind of stepped out and kind of went, God, where are you leading? I'm going to lead you along the way. So faith put at risk, it gains God's favor. But the last thing that you need to know about God's heart and lessons you need to know about God's heart and expanding his kingdom is this, that God's heart is still beating for the broken, for the abandoned, for the hopeless, and for the sinner. That's God's heart. God's heart's never going to stop beating for the broken, abandoned, the hopeless, and the sinner. 
He said these words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and they're still ringing true today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he's still speaking that word to you and me today. He says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm calling you to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in Kearney and in Nebraska and in the United States and around the world. And that also includes your backyard, and it includes down the road in a place called North Platte. God's still calling this church to do those very things. So I want to stop for a moment. I want to bring you back to this North Platte story. Our, um, I'm so proud of our deacon board. These guys went with me, and we went out to this place in North Platte, this church. There's a church there that had had, it had some healthy ministry in its past. It used to run 400 people, and now its doors are closed. It used to be a place that gave life. Now its doors are closed. It used to be a place that was expanding God's kingdom, and now its doors are closed. Warning. It's a warning sign. Watch out. Anyone's susceptible. Anyone can fall. Any great giant can come tumbling down if we don't keep our hearts right before God. We went out, and we checked this place out, and we walked through the building, and we prayed, and we all sensed with one unified heart, This is God's mission for us. So we told our district, we'll give you the green light. We're we're willing to help plant a church out here. We're willing to use all of your resources, invest some of our resources to build the kingdom out there. Except for that all had to go to our presbytery. And so they went to all these leaders in our state. And as of last Monday, they voted. And they said, we would love to see new life, a healthy, life-giving church expand God's kingdom by taking itself, its resources, and its people and go out to North Platte and plant a brand new church that gives life in a community just like Carney, who needs Jesus Christ. Now, all that started 10 years ago with a former pastor who commissioned a staff guy with a board that said, let's believe a dream that not a lot of people are dreaming. Let's be a, mo- let's be a Noah and let's build a boat when no one else is building it. And let's be an Abraham and let's step out into a land when no one else, where we don't even know where we're going to go. And God will direct the path and God will lead the way. And here we stand here today and I'm telling you, you're going to find more and more out about this new opportunity that we're given to go plant a church in North Platte. It's going to expand the tent stakes of your own heart. It's going to expand the faith of your own life. It's going to expand us in a lot of ways. And you're going to hear more and more about it. So the big question I have for you is this. God's going to need missionaries. We sent 60 people down to the gym to plant that thing. Now it runs 109 plus every week. Who are the missionaries that are going to go from here out to North Platte? See, because some of you are going to move. You just don't know it yet. But God's going to come knock on your heart and he's going to go build a boat. And he's going to come knock on your heart and he's going to go, I got an inheritance for you, but you're going to step out even when you don't know where you're going. Others of you are going to find in your heart to give. Something's going to strike in your heart, and you're going to go, I want to be a part of planting a church. I've never been given that opportunity. And you're going to be a person that gives. Some of you are going to be people that pray. And others of you are going to be people that hop in your car every Sunday morning, and you're going to start driving out to North Platte to help us plant a church for like six months or a year. Now, these are not me as a dictator telling you what you're going to do. I'm just telling you what God's going to come challenge you with. So get ready. Because God's interested in expanding the kingdom, and he does it in crazy ways. 
He does it in ways that are outside the box. He does it in ways that are beyond what you normally think of. And that's why today I wanted to leave that out there for you. You're going to hear more about it, especially if you come to our annual business meeting. You're going to hear more about it there for sure. All right, about this North Platte opportunity. But God's expanding his kingdom in crazy ways. And what I wanted to do today is I wanted to invite my friend. Mike Donahue travels the nation and he speaks to, he speaks to students throughout the United States. He goes into our public schools. He goes into one of the greatest mission fields on the planet right now. One of the greatest mission fields in the United States. And he walks in there and to, to communicate the, the, really the hope of Jesus Christ and to expand the kingdom. And so Mike's going to come and just kind of help us expand our faith to understand what it means like a Noah to build a boat and like an Abraham to go in places where you don't know where you're going. So would you give it up for Mike? Good job. Check, check. Hi. How are you? You look good. I like this church. I've been here a few times. I spoke here years ago at a youth rally or a youth conference here. And um, I've always had a, uh, a really good experience with new life. I love Jeff and Kim. I've known Jeff for a long time. Um, I was the youth pastor at Bellevue Christian Center uh, from 1998 to the year 2004. And while I was there, uh, I ran Master's Commission as well, and for the three years of that. And in the middle of running Master's Commission, um, I, I'm just going to be really honest with you. I, I love evangelism, and I love um, getting out there. Like, let me give you a little background on me. I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. I was... Um, yeah, where, where are you from? Right on. I'm from Weymouth, which is the South Shore. Yeah. Um, go Patriots. Anyways, um, so basically, I, I didn't grow up a Christian. I, I was a, a bit, I was, a, uh, my parents were divorced when I was five years old. I came from a very dysfunctional home life. I, um, when, when I look at like the, the sin and stuff that I was doing, mainly it was self-medication. I was, I was lonely for my dad. I wanted my dad to be there. He was long gone. My mom was, really not fit to have children, so there was a lot of abuse and a lot of uh, things like that happening in my life. When I was 16, there was a family incident. There was an incident where I ended up um, going uh, to the hospital and I had 17 stitches in my wrist from um, from uh, my mother tried to hurt me. And so basically, I was at a place in my life where I um, I really w- was was desperate. And I didn't know Christ really at all. And a uh, long story short, I, I came, I got stationed off Air Force Base in Nebraska, and I met Jesus Christ. I met a, I met, um, a really pretty girl asked me to go to church, and she's like, would you like to go to church with me? And I was like, I would join a cult with you, okay? <laughs> I mean, like, whatever, I don't care where we're going as long as I'm going with you. And I ended up going to this, I went to Bellevue Christian Center, and I became a Christian. And a uh, long story short is um, God began to to really do a work in me to um, to help teenagers. And so became, as a youth pastor, I was perfect, I'll be a youth pastor. So um, I worked under Rick Lormer and Jeannie Mayo, and I was interned under them. And then when Rick, uh, when Jeannie Mayo and Pastor Sam Mayo went to Rockford, Illinois, I went out there, I was a youth pastor for five years out there. I went to Denver. I worked for Marilyn Hickey for three years um, on staff at um, Happy Church. And I was the youth pastor there and then ended up back in Bellevue, Nebraska. Took over the youth program there and then started Master's Commission. And it's funny how Jeff was talking about expanding the kingdom and how God works with you. Because I, w- I was at a good, ch- a good church. How many of you are familiar with Bellevue Christian Center? It's a good church. Um, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a life-giving church. I was there for six years. Had a great job. I loved my job. 
I mean, we, I had, we had a thriving youth ministry. They pretty much left me alone as far as like letting me do what I wanted to do. Uh, we did a, we had an internship. We had, um, we had, uh, master's commission and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was a great place. I'd made decent living. So I was pretty comfortable there, but God kept like pricking my heart about public schools. And really awesome. It's awesome that Todd, the Todd Becker Foundation's here because I'm familiar with them. Um, I love that God doesn't just take His kingdom and you know put it in the in the four walls of the church. I remember um, when I was um, a young man, I was praying. I, there was a song. You're probably not even going to remember this song, but maybe some of you will. But it's um, Steve Camp, and the song went, um, "I want to run a." It's, some people want to live in the sound of chapel bells. But I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. And that's always been my heart. I, 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 I'm so excited to be a part of a church. Churches are awesome. Changed my life. But I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. And as I look out, when I, as I started speaking in public schools, and we just did it, basically what happened was um, the superintendent of schools in Bellevue, Nebraska, came to me and said, hey, you're having a lot of success with youth ministry. Would you consider coming in and, and talking to our kids, you know, in schools? Yeah, sure. So we started doing, um, not school assemblies right away, but classes, and then we started expanding into school assemblies, and we went out to North, no offense, but we went out to Western Nebraska, and we decided to do it out there first, because if we stunk, we knew nobody lived out there, so it'd be fine, like nobody would know. So... So it didn't stink though. It started getting good, and 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 what what I've really noticed is, um, and I want to tell you a story. And people usually end they they usually end their sermon with this story, but I'm going to begin my my uh, talk with this story. I'll never forget when I was when I was in youth ministry, or I don't even remember when I heard this story. Um, it's that story and you've heard this before a million times, probably. But it's that it's that uh, starfish story where the, the little boy was down on the on the on the beach. And all these starfish got washed up on the, on the on the shore, and they were dying. They were up on the beach, and they were dying. And it was a big storm, so it was like thousands of them up on the up on the beach. And this little boy went down, and he felt really bad that these starfish were dying. So he began to throw the starfish back in. Well, there was thousands of them on the beach, and there was this old older man that was up on the pier, and he was he was yelling down at this boy. He's like, he's, what are you doing down there? The kid was frantically throwing these things back in, but there was no way this boy was going to be able to get them all back into the into the water. And the, and the old man knew that because he was wise and he had lived a long time. So he, he, he was watching this and looking at it as a futile um, effort on this boy's part. So he was yelling down at the boy saying, listen, you need to, you need to just you know, stop because you're not going to make a difference. You know, and, and, and boy, you're wasting your time. And the kid ignored him. He just kept throwing the, the starfish back in. So the, the guy got irritated and he finally went down to the beach. And, and he got in, up to, right up close to the boy and said, what are you doing? Look at all these starfish. There's no way... You're going to be able to reach all these starfish. There's no way you're going to be able to get them all in. And he, the kid just ignored him. He said, and finally, the, the, the old man was really upset. And he grabbed the kid's arm and he said, you're never going to make a difference. And the kid picked up the starfish and he goes, but I can make a difference with this one. And I can make a difference with this one. And I'll make a difference with this one. And I think expanding God's kingdom has a lot to do with the last point that Jeff had which was God's heart is always beating for this one. God doesn't look down and go, oh boy, I wish we could have some big bulldozer come in and just, just take all these starfish back in. But that's where you come in because, because there's no way that Jeff and Kim or, or any pastor in Nebraska is going to be able to get all the starfish back in the water that are in Nebraska or in North Platte or here in Kearney or wherever the next step is for you to expand the kingdom of God. And I look, I look back and, I, and as I, and my calling is to public schools. 
My, my calling is to walk down the hallway of a high school and, and, and know that that's one of the darkest places that there is. And I'm just going to talk about that for just a minute because I can't, I'm 51 years old, but I can't stop. I can't stop having a heart for, for the public schools. And, and, and public school kids. And I'm so glad that the Todd Becker Foundation is doing what they're doing because it's a very dark place. It's an incredibly dark place. The hallways of public schools, let me just give you a picture of it for a minute. The five minutes it takes to get from math to English is loaded with all kinds of pressure. It's loaded. We Basically, the, the, the battle that goes on in schools goes like this. You've got two value systems at play. You've got an intrinsic value that people have, and then you've got a social value. And I believe that everybody starts out with an intrinsic value of being a, being a 10. I think that obviously when we're born, um, you know, when, when you're born, you, you know you're loved because you came out of the womb and, and you're just, they don't just take you out of the womb and go, here, put you on the shelf and go, good luck. You know, they, they, they pour into you, they invest in you and they, they clean you. And every second of your, of your day, that first day you were born is, is all about you. It's all about, it's all about taking care of you. And, and, and it's just a natural thing that we do with, with, with our, with our offspring that we, we value them. We value them. And I think everybody, you know, if you could, if you were conscious of it, you would know how valuable you really are. That's called intrinsic value. It's God given value. It's what you were born with. And I, and I think every kid, let's just say Carney High School, every kid that walks down Carney, in, in Carney High School, when they were born, they probably didn't know this, but they were, they were valued. But I'll get, I'll guarantee that if you polled some of those kids right now, in fact, I'd bet, I'd bet money on it, that if you, if you polled some of those kids and you asked them what they felt they were worth, it wouldn't be a 10. It wouldn't be a 10. Some of them would be a 2. Some of them would be 9, 10. I doubt that, but, it would be a number somewhere in between. What 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 happened to make them know that their make them think that their intrinsic value is not high anymore? Things happen. I was born. I remember. You know. I don't remember. You know a lot about my, the first day I was born. I don't remember anything about the first day I was born. But I but I remember you know feeling loved at some point. But then when I was a young man, basically things started happening to me where it took away my intrinsic value. It didn't take away my intrinsic value. What it did was it it it, it stopped my, the perception of my intrinsic value. It, it hurt my perception. So in other words, like when my dad left, when I was you know a kid, it was like minus three. When my mom decided to be physical abusive, you know, physically abusive to me, it was like a minus four. Choices that I made, you know, basically, you know, like not investing in myself in school and um, and, and hanging out with the wrong people, it, it took a, a toll on my intrinsic value. And here I was as a young man, you know, feeling like a one. And to me, basically it was like this. It was like I had, I was a slave to my social value. When I didn't know who my, you know, who, what I was really worth, how valuable I really am, it's like, it's easy at that point to go out and, and then start to really like be a slave to your intrinsic value. I mean to your social value. Raise your hand if that makes any sense to you at all. And you get all these kids that are, that are bullying each other and, and, and the, the hurt and the pain that's going on. Um, I've never met a bully yet that really likes themselves. I've never met a bully yet that really, really has a strong value system. They really, that they really think that they're, they're okay. Usually those people are, are, are mean and they're cruel because they don't like themselves. And as I, as I look back and I, and I go, okay, well, what's our job? You know, we, we you know, we, as we as church people, we can get upset. I can't come down here, can I? Um, I like to roam around. I'm like, I'm stuck up here in this box. Like, uh, 
it's because of you down in the gym that I have to be like this. Um, hi, guys in the gym. Good to see you. Um, no, but you, but, but I, I think about, I think about what, what, what do we do as church people to get the light into public schools? Cause it's an incredibly dark place. Like I said, those kids are walking on the hallway every single day and it's like getting onto their own personal stage. I'm on a stage right now and I have a microphone on my face and I have expectations from Jeff kind of to say something that matters to you. But you know what? Those kids, when they walk down the hallway of their school, it's the same thing. They walk down that hallway. It's like every single day they have got to put on a show. They've got, to, they've got to act a certain way. They've got to listen to the right music. They've got to be the right kind of person. And if, you, if they don't do that, they're going to feel pressure. And the problem with that is, I know because some of you have grandchildren and children in the public schools, and this is what, what we've got. We've got. We've got two levels of government in the school. Okay, We've got the administrative government, and then we have a social government. The administrative government is obvious. It's the principals, it's the administrators. But let me ask you a question. Okay, Those of you that are familiar with public schools in Kearney, let me ask you, do you, raise your hand if you think there's drugs going on in, in public schools here, okay? Raise your hand if you think there's alcohol abuse. Raise your hand if there's sexual promiscuity. How about bullying? Okay, so this government, and, and I'm not picking on, on Kearney public schools because this is across the country. I speak from, you know, all over the country and this is, this is pretty much what we see. We've got this level of government really can't, and by the way, the, the, the dictionary definition of government is the control exercised over the body of its members. The control exercised over its members. So what you just got done telling me is in Kearney Public Schools, they're not able to control drug use. Or this is the social, this is the kids here. These, these are all the kids here, this government, and we'll talk about this in a minute. But basically you've got, you've got this government that's trying to control these kids, but really we still have bullying, we still have drug use, we still have all those crazy sinful things that are going on in these kids' lives something's got to happen. Why, why is it like that? And we could go back and say, well, the Bible was taken out of public schools. We could say all that stuff. And I agree with you 100%, but, but we're not gonna, it's not going to go back to 1950. I'm sorry. It's not, we're never ever going to go back to that paradigm. What do we do now with the darkness that is going on in public schools? Every single day when I walk into a school, it is, I'm walking on, really, I'm walking into a closed country. They're walking into a closed country because they're not, they're not, most schools aren't saying come preach the gospel in our schools. We can't do that. It's against the law. I, I didn't make the law, but I have to obey the law because as soon as I break that law, I'm, I can't do it anymore. Does that make sense? They're not going to let me into public schools if I go in and start preaching the gospel. They're just not going to. Should they? Yes. They, they're not going to do it. And the day they change that law and say, Mike Donahue, you can go in and preach the gospel in public schools, I will be the first one in line to get there. Okay? Because I know they need that. But that's not the way it is right now. So we as Christians can go, we can fold our hands and say, well, that's their problem. That's this administration's problem. They, they, you know, that's what they got to do. You know, but they're not doing it. We still have all this crazy stuff going on. And if you have a, ch- a child that you're trying to instill values into your child or into your grandchild and you want them to live out those values in their school, they, they are going to face an amazing amount of pressure. I had this girl come walking up to me and she goes, <clears throat> she sat down and she goes, um, I, get a, I, get a, I have a bad label. I, I, the kids label me in the school and I said, what do they label you? She goes, freak and weirdo. And she was really cute, and she was trendy looking, so I was curious. I said, why do they call you that? And she goes, because I stopped going to the cool kid parties. I go, excuse me? She goes, I don't go to the cool kid parties anymore. I said, why? She goes, because I know what happens to sophomore girls who go to parties with senior boys. Somewhere along the line, this girl picked up a value. 
she, 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 she wanted to live out this value. Raise your hand. I think that's a pretty good value for a young girl to have. Yeah. She's not going to go to the party. She's being herself and she's, she's going against the flow. But basically watch this. This is, these, these circles represent kids, popular kids, all the way down to kids that are, they're not really socially, you know, maybe non-existent. And you've got a flow in the school that says, if you're cool, you got to go this way. If you're in this particular school, if you're cool, you go to the party. So she's got to make a decision. Am I going to be true to my own personal value? Am I going to be true to this law, this flow in the school? And if I break that, if I don't go to that party, basically I'm breaking the law. Raise your hand if that makes any sense to you at all. This is the dilemma that our public school kids face. This is, this is the dilemma that your kids face. Every day when they walk down the hallway, they, you're, they come to youth group. I know this church. I know they are, they are, you have an incredible, awesome youth ministry here. You always have. I and mean, it's amazing. And, and, and they're getting taught really good values. But when they walk into that school, whether the middle school or the high school, that's not, the, the atmosphere and the, 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 the climate is not conducive to the values that your kids are being taught here at your church or in your home. I learned this with my son. He was seventh grade. He went to Millard North Middle. We had just moved back from Illinois, and, and he was new. He didn't know anybody. And he's given me permission to tell you this story. Okay? Now, again, I want my kids to know, and you want your kids to know, that their intrinsic value never changes, that this is solid. This does not change. It's called unconditional love. You love your kids no matter what. This is not the system they live in every day in the school. They, they don't. They don't. They, they, they don't know. They're, they're constantly being measured on their social value and what they're worth according to this flow. So that's the battle they have. So my son had that battle. Goes to school, teaching him values, trying to, you know, he's been in youth ministry with me all, all his life. He's, he's seen me do this, he's seen me do school assemblies. So he, he comes home one day from school and he's upset. I could tell he was upset. So I sat down on his face, and, you know, I got right up on his face. And I said, what's wrong? And he burst out in tears. He goes, God, he, he goes, I'm not God. He goes, he goes, Dad, um, he goes, all the kids are calling me gay. Now, I want to be honest with you. I grew up in the East Coast, so part of me is like, oh, really? They're calling you gay? Get the shovel. We'll take care of this. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's not nice. But, <clears throat> you know, as a dad, you're like, no way. I'm not going to let that happen to my son. You know? So I, I, I said, well, who's calling you gay? And he goes, he didn't say it like this, but basically he said all the eight, nines, and tens. All the kids in the school that are popular, they're calling them gay. So I'm gonna, this may offend some of you, but I'm gonna just tell you what I said to them. I've been a youth pastor for 20 years. I know the Bible, what it says about homosexuality. I get it. I sat down with my son and I said, I'm gonna ask you a question, okay? And I, and I need to, I need you to know something. When I ask you this question, it does not matter how you answer this question. I love you no matter what. That does ne- that never changes. That never, you know that doesn't change, right? He's like, yeah. Because that can't change. They have to know you love them, no matter what. So I said, do you think you're gay? This is my seventh grade son. He's 12. He's like, I go, do you like boys? And he goes, he thought about it, which was great. That's what I wanted to do. Because I didn't want him answering the question based on what he thought, how, how, what, what, what I needed to hear. I wanted him to answer it honestly. And he said, I don't think so. He goes, I, I like girls. And I kind of knew he did. I went to the mall with him. You know, I see him looking at girls. You know, I, I, but I needed him to know that no matter what, he needs to know. You know that I love him. Now watch. And then I said, I said, Keegan, do you? <clears throat> I said, why do you think they're calling you that? Then he said, just like this. He goes, Dad, in a way, it's your fault. And I was like, <laughs> I was a little confused. Right? I said, I said, what? He goes, do you remember when I was in fifth grade and you sat me down and you talked to me about dirty jokes? 
And what he was referring to is that he was about to go into middle school, and I sat him down, and I said, listen to me, you're going to hear dirty jokes. You're going to hear, you know, nasty stuff about girls. And here's what you have to remember. You've got three sisters. You've got a mom and two grandmothers. So if you laugh at those jokes, you're basically disrespecting the women that are in your life. I was trying to teach my son a value. Raise your hand if you think it's a good value for a son to be taught by his dad. Well, yeah, and so do you. So basically, he, that's what happened to him. He was in school. He was sitting there, and he was telling jokes. And um, The kid, kid was telling jokes, and he was sitting in the locker room. There was like six guys in the locker room, and everybody was laughing at the jokes. And I said, Keegan, did you call the kid out? Did you make him feel stupid? He goes, no, Dad. He goes, all I did was this. When the kid got to me, he was laughing, you know, everybody was, he was going down the line making sure he was laughing at his joke, and when he got to me, I just put my head down. That simple act of going, you know what? I want to be true to my own value system cost him socially, because the kid got up and said, oh, what's the matter? You don't like dirty jokes? You must be gay. And then he ran down the hallway saying, the new kid's gay, the new kid's gay, the new kid's gay, and humiliated my son. This was the dilemma that I had. My son is part of a system, and so is your son, your daughter, your grandchildren. They're part of a system that is very ungodly and dark, and it's strong, and it's strong. And so what do we do to get the light in schools? I'm, I'm speaking at, at, at uh, conferences with, with Arnie Duncan. Uh, last summer I was with Arnie Duncan, who was the Secretary of, of um, Education for the United States. I mean, I, they, they are really concerned about this because we get 12-year-old girls that are jumping off water towers because, they, because when, they, when they measure themselves socially, they don't have any more because of the, so, the breakdown of family and all the kind of stuff we could talk about. I don't have time to go into But they, they don't have a strong intrinsic value. So two things I want to tell you. Number one, make... Make sure you're putting the right the right values into your kids, but know when you do that that they're going to face a battle. I told my son that day. I said, "You're you're." I was going to have this talk to you with you when you were a senior, but when you were in high school. But I'm going to have a talk with you now. There comes a time in your life where you're going to have to decide whether you want to be liked or respected. Because that's a because sometimes that doesn't go together. Sometimes if you're going to be respected, you're going to have to go against the crowd. If you want to be liked, go with the flow. But then you're gonna you're gonna abandon your values. You're gonna you're gonna take a hit on, on what who you really are and what God's trying to you know show you what, what you know what you are as a man. And that's the dilemma that your kids face every single day. That's why we have the the, the Todd Becker Foundation going into schools. That's why we have R five Productions and Seven Project and all that because we've got to get light in the school. And that's the second thing I want to say before I close is we need you. I don't need you going into public schools because you'd probably freak some of those kids out. But I I. I <laughs> I need you to send us. I need you to send me. I need you to send them. I need you to, to send We need you to send us. Because that's, that's what I'm equipped to do. That's what I'm called to do. I'm called to do Not everybody's called to do that. I'm called to do that. I've, we've got to bring light in these schools. Just yesterday, I was in Austin, Texas. Yesterday, was, no, Friday, I was in Austin, Texas. And, and I, before I left the school, and it was a really uh, rich school. It was one of the nicest parts of um, Austin. And, and, and I've been there before at the school. And I was walking down the hallway, and this girl comes up to me and gives me uh, her, um, her contact information. And we don't usually do anything with the, that. Long story. We just have a policy not to connect that way. But, but she comes in, and she gives me this, this thing. And then um, I, I just got a text yesterday, and I was with Jeff from the principal of the school. And it said, you know, they, they put her in a psych ward because she – but because she, her dad was a pastor, and they just went through a nasty divorce, and somewhere along the line, her intrinsic value just took a real hit. And so when we were talking about stuff yesterday, it stirred stuff up, and, and she's getting help, which is great. She's getting help. But that's what we got going on. We have a dark, dark 
Those hallways are dark. They're dark. The pressure of that video, I was watching that video. They, it was a great video. They, it, it, it's dark. And we need light. We need light in the schools. We need to expand God's kingdom in the public schools. We can't go in and preach the gospel. It's against the law. When the law changes, Mike Donahue will be the first one there. But you know what? It's not changing yet. That isn't, that means there's still starfish on the, on the, you know, on the beach. There's starfish on the beach. And we need to get them. We gotta get them. We gotta get them. We gotta get them. Bow your heads with me for a minute. Heavenly Father, I thank you for people like Jeff and, and the Todd Becker Foundation and, and the Seven Project and Reggie Dabbs and, and the list goes on of people that are trying to expand God's kingdom. They don't want to run a mission. They don't want, they don't want to just be in the four walls of the church. They want to run a mission of yards from the gates of hell. The devil is alive and well and doing things to people that are just ridiculous. And, and I pray that you would, that you would stir this church, Lord God. Stir this church to, to expand your kingdom. And out of the box, it doesn't have to look the way it always has, but let it look different. Let it be different. Let us be flexible. Let us be, be, people that hear your voice and respond in Jesus name and if you're sitting in this room today and you don't feel like you that you don't have that maybe your intrinsic value the perception of your value has changed you know what Jesus Christ died for you there's nothing nothing says value like saying I'm going to give my life for you while you were a sinner while you were not your best day when you were doing great but when you were doing bad when you were running when you were rebellious Jesus chose to die for you and God sent his son and said you're that valuable to me you're that valuable to me your value does not change you have intrinsic value and that value is set and it's beautiful and that's who you are and that's what God called us to if you're in this room today you don't you don't know that I'd be willing to talk to you. I'd pray with you. If you, if you don't know that God loves you that much, your value is set. Loves you. Loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Look up here for just a second. I have a book called Talking to Brick Walls and it's, it's describing a little bit more in detail the the stuff I just laid out for you and um, it's out there it's 10 bucks and when you buy one it helps me get get into the public schools and give more resources to these kids to help them value themselves and to value others thanks for letting me be part of your church today where'd Jeff go? oh (laughs) I thought you came up here thank you so much for letting me be a part I'm excited for for Carney I am I'm excited because I know, I know Jeff's heart and Kim's heart. I know, I know what they're about. And some, they're making you a little nervous, and I'm glad. You need to be nervous. Not nervous like, oh, but nervous like, maybe I want to, you know, maybe God is going to call you to stretch a little bit. And it's not going to be every day. I, I had a great job in Bellevue, Nebraska. I, had, I was set. I was making good money. I had a good reputation in the city. But I kept feeling that agitation, God saying, but there's more for you, Mike. There's more. Take a risk. Take a risk. Go start a company. So I did. And I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm, I'm, and God's using me. And, and it's awesome. I love it. But it hasn't been easy either. There's been battles. There's been tough times. But it's, but it's, but it's worth the fight. I don't want to go to heaven all dressed in a three-piece suit. 
I want to go to heaven swinging, you know. Until until I die, I want to go in swinging. I want to fight for these kids. I want to be the guy on the beach. I want to be the guy on the beach throwing them back in, throwing them back in. I want to make a difference. How many of you want to make a difference? God's going to expand the kingdom here. Amen.